Good morning. With um, Thanksgiving much on our minds, we'd like to uh, be in keeping with what Howard prayed, that our hearts might overflow with Thanksgiving year-round. Not, um, not just one Thursday a year, but um, we'd like to make that a regular practice for us. And so I'd like to... Um, Get organized. There are wonderful examples of thanksgiving in Scripture, and we'd like to look at um, one of them in particular this morning. You know, um, in a word, the Lord is thankworthy. The Lord is thankworthy. What does that mean? It is a word. And it means that he is deserving thanks. We say someone is praiseworthy, they're worthy of praise. Well, the Lord is thankworthy and uh, deserves our thanks. Thanks is an acknowledgement made to express a sense of favor or kindness received. Okay? Uh, thanks is acknowledgement made to a, a benefit that we've received. Gratitude is the feeling excited by kindness. Gratitude is the feeling. Thanks is the expression of that gratitude, that expression of that feeling. We have reason to thank the Lord in general for every benefit that we receive. The psalmist wrote, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercies, for his mercy endures forever. Who can utter, that is, who can express the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? The psalmist also recognized that we don't acknowledge the Lord. We don't thank the Lord as we ought. And so he wrote in Psalm 107, Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. You know, the Lord expects recognition for the countless blessings that he bestows. You, um, you give something to someone, uh, especially a child, and uh, you, you wait there for uh, acknowledgement. You know, is there a thanks for, for what I've given? Among his criticisms of the ungodly and the unrighteous in Romans chapter 1, the Lord says, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. That is Paul writing. Um, they, the ungodly, the unrighteous, did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Okay? So that's a problem. The Lord is waiting. He's watching for, uh, for acknowledgement, for gratitude, for thanks. Recall when Jesus healed the ten lepers... One of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his feet, uh, face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? Don't know how long the Lord Jesus had to wait for the one but uh, he, he uh, appreciated the one, and uh, he uh, waited for the nine. Where are they? 
Giving thanks to the Lord is proper. Psalm 92 reads, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. It's right. It's proper. It's, it's uh, reasonable. It's our due to thank the Lord for his benefits. The Apostle Paul appreciated the Lord. He seemed to breathe an atmosphere of thanksgiving and praise. Imagine being with the Apostle Paul for an afternoon and uh, being refreshed by his thankfulness. He, he recognized the Lord in, um, uh, in the things that he did, and it would be like a cool breeze on a, on a weary day. Paul just uh, uh, overflowing with thanks for what the Lord had done. In fact, the Lord, uh, in fact, the apostle begins his letters with a customary greeting of, of thanks. I'm going to run through several of them, pick up the, uh, the pattern here, and, uh, and see how uh, Paul is giving thanks to the Romans. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. To the Corinthians, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. The Ephesians. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The Philippians. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. To the Colossians, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. You picking up a pattern here? <laughs> um, Paul uh, gives thanks to God for you, you, um, uh, in the churches uh, in which he ministered. Paul gives this greeting to the Thessalonians also, and so I'd like to uh, turn to uh, 1 Thessalonians, and we'll, uh, we'll focus our study this morning on his uh, the thanks he gives for the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father. Knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, 
so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. In uh, studying this passage this morning, I'd like to uh, answer several questions. Why did the apostle thank the Lord and not the Thessalonians? For what or for whom did Paul thank the Lord? What was the reason for Paul's thanks to the Lord? What characteristically accompanied Paul's thanks to God? There was something that Paul added to his thanks in every, uh, just about every instance of uh, his greetings that we read. And then uh, at the end, we will offer a practical assignment or two for application with the goal in mind, again, as Howard prayed, that we might, our hearts might overflow with thanksgiving today and through the rest of the year. Well, Paul gave thanks to the Lord. Verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all. He recognized that um, God had worked sovereignly through Silas and himself among the Thessalonians as they, uh, as they ventured into this um, pagan uh, city uh, full of idolatry. Uh, imagine you walking into a, um, uh, a town where they just didn't know the Lord. They didn't have the background. They didn't have a Bible knowledge. And so you're coming in fresh. You're coming in uh, cold to this, um, this population. But they saw God work through their preaching. And God continued to work sovereignly in the lives of new believers as they were saved. God continued to work so that when uh, Paul sent Timothy back to, uh, uh, back to Thessalonica, Thessalonica um, he reported to Paul, hey, the saints are doing well. They're growing. They are... Uh, God is work at work in their lives. As God worked in all power and authority among the Colossians, as, as he did among the Colossians, God also qualified the Thessalonians to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He delivered them from the power of darkness and conveyed them it was God who conveyed them into the kingdom of the Son of His love. It was a sovereign act. It was a, uh, a display of His power, His authority, His reign, His rule. He conveyed them into the kingdom of His dear Son. And as He did among the Corinthians, um, do not be deceived. No idolaters such as these Thessalonians would inherit the kingdom of God. 
but God washed them. God sanctified them. God justified them in the name of the Lord Jesus and by his spirit. Again, God's sovereignty on display. God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved the Thessalonians, even when they were dead in trespasses, made them alive together with Christ and raised them up together and made them sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By grace, he saved the Thessalonians through faith and that not of themselves, it was the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We see God's hand. We see him moving uh, among the heathen, uh, bringing forth a, a people to himself, a special people, a holy priesthood. And um, uh, so for Paul to have begun his letter to the Thessalonians without acknowledging the Lord and his working would have been an oversight. It would have been uh, out of place. So Paul thanks the Lord. I thank my God. Well, for whom did Paul uh, thank the Lord? It was for you all, for the Thessalonians. There was no distinction in Paul's mind between any super saints and uh, the, um, the other saints. He says, I thank God for you all, every one of you, I, I thank the Lord for. He had seen the Lord marvelously work through each of these Thessalonian believers. In verse 4, he calls them beloved brethren. Beloved by Paul, of course, but elect of God, holy and beloved, as he would later write the Colossians. Paul thanked the Lord. For whom? For the believers, all of them. For the brethren, the beloved brethren. What were the reasons that Paul thanked the Lord for the Thessalonian believers? We'll look at um, four of them. Perhaps you can add, uh, add some to the list. But um, Paul lists several in verse 3. He says, um, remembering without ceasing your work of faith. God gave the Thessalonians the capacity for faith. Lucy Bennett wrote in a hymn, O teach me what it meaneth, the rest which thou dost give to all the heavy laden who look to thee and live. Because I am a rebel, thy pardon I receive. Because thou dost command me, I can, I do believe. God gave the Thessalonians this capacity for trusting him, um, and they, they entered into that. They exercised that capacity. Not only did God give the capacity for faith, but he also gave them the object for their faith, his only begotten son. In John 3.16, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Paul observed these Thessalonian idolaters coming to faith in Christ. But he was not only an observer, he was a participant in the sovereign work of God. Um, in verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. Our gospel did not come to you in word only. What's the gospel? Well, 
It is not God elected you or he didn't elect you, so it doesn't matter what you do. That's not the gospel, okay? It is rather that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, okay? So, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And he who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Paul and Silas's gospel went out with such power, accompanied by the Holy Spirit's applying them to the hearts and bringing them to, uh, to salvation, that it was another evidence of God's sovereignty, his uncontestable work among these Thessalonians. I like to think of uh, Paul and Silas as they, were, as they were preaching and maybe ministering house to house and answering questions one-on-one. On one. Uh, they were in a uh, delivery room, a labor and delivery room, and they were watching these, uh, these idolaters being born again. He was watching new life enter into these, uh, these idolaters, and they, were, they had new a new relationship. They had the life of Christ in them. They were in the delivery room. What, a, what an honor. What a privilege. And I, I recognize that some of you as well have been in that same delivery room, seeing, uh, seeing unbelievers transformed uh, through faith in Jesus to, uh, to new life and then walking with the Lord for, um, uh, in faithfulness to him. What an honor. What a joy. What a privilege. The Thessalonians turned to God from their idols in, uh, in verse 9. Show us our slide of the idols. Ah, there they are, those nasty things. Note the order in verse 9. They turned to God from idols. It wasn't like, um, oh, we're tired, we're so tired of these idols, they do nothing for us, They're, they don't talk, they don't hear, they don't move. So let's try Jesus. I, I hear people suggesting, you know, well, why don't you try Christ? That's not it at all. No, Jesus offers something so much better and livelier and more beneficial than these dumb idols that the idolaters, the Thessalonians said, we're going, we're going to God, and we're trashing these, uh, these useless uh, idols that we have. God is so precious. He's so valuable. We see him offering such riches in Jesus that we're turning to him from the idols. Okay? They, they recognized how much better, the, um, what, how does Paul describe them? The living and true God. All right? Not the false idols. Well, We may laugh at these silly, lifeless idols that the Thessalonians worship. Next slide. Our idols are much more sophisticated. Idolatry is as rampant in the world today, but we've refined our idols. I don't know how many of those you can see, but how many many idols can you pick out from, uh, from those in the screen? Thank you. That's, um, 
something of the faith of the Thessalonians. What is the work of faith Paul refers to in verse 3? Well, certainly it's believing on the Lord Jesus. Um, Jesus told a crowd at Capernaum, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So that's, uh, that's a work of faith. Believe on the Lord. Receive his salvation. Saving faith is a working faith. James wrote, show, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Pity the poor people who have nothing to show for their faith. Theirs is a dead, a useless faith. Through their work of faith, the Thessalonians became examples to uh, all in Macedonia and Achaia. And the, the, the Lord's word sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in the regions beyond. They, uh, they were laborers in faith. Their new occupation in uh, verse 9 was to serve the living and true God. They had served themselves. They'd served their their idols, and now with, um, with uh, an increased uh, fervor and uh, devotion and love, they served the Lord. By this work of faith, the apostles knew that the, gen that the uh, Thessalonians' faith was genuine. Well, that's, um, that's one reason why Paul thanked God for the believers in Thessalonica was their work of faith. The second uh, we could list as um, their labor of love. The love for which Paul thanks the Lord here is a determined, self-sacrificing, generous, others-directedness. This is love. It's... Um, it's reflective of God's love for us that he would give us his son, his unique son, his only son, uh, in, uh, um, in sacrifice for us on the cross of Calvary. What did love mean to the Thessalonians? Well, theirs was an impartial, outward-facing love. In, uh, in the same letter for Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes in verse 9 and 10, he says, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. So we, we look at the Thessalonian assembly, and they had love for one another, but their love uh, poured out the doors and... Uh, um, over cell phones if they had them, uh, through letters to those um, others in Macedonia. Theirs was an outward-facing love. Undoubtedly, the Thessalonians faced some of the challenges that we do today. C.S. Lewis wrote a book, uh, Mere Christianity, which I recommend to you. Um, he wrote about people who are cold by temperament. That is, they're naturally not um, effusive, they're not uh, affectionate, okay? Um, Lewis wrote, do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. 
Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Some of us are cold-tempered. We're not warm and, uh, and loving. Uh, Lewis says, don't worry about it. Act in love. Act like you love that person, and you will develop a love for him. We tend to clump together in groups or cliques. Uh, those of us who share common interests, um, any, anything will uh, um, bring us together in a little tight group. And um, we need to overcome that, okay? Uh, we're not a church within a church. We are, uh, we are an assembly and, uh, and uh, brethren. David McCaslin um, wrote in a devotional, uh, breaking um, daily bread devotional, uh, he quoted a, a Sports Illustrated article, what counts most in creating, creating a successful team is not how compatible its players are, but how they deal with incompatibility. Okay, the secret's not to gather a group that's, um, that's all, uh, we're all born in the same place and we're all the same age and uh, we're all working for the same company and, ooh, how boring would that be? Um, he says, instead, how do you deal with incompatibility? We have differences. Okay, how do you deal with that? McKesson followed with a quote by Oswald Chambers. He said, in the spiritual life, beware of walking according to natural affinities. An affinity is um, an attraction. It's, uh, it's a sympathy. It's, um, it's having things in natural uh, common with others. Everyone has natural affinities. Some people we like and others we do not like. We must never let those likes and dislikes rule in our Christian life. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, God will give us communion with people for whom we have no natural affinity. The Thessalonian church must have overcome any clumping, that uh, natural gravitation to only those we relate well to. They love the brethren. They love the brethren, Paul writes in uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.10. There are difficult people. The um, Galatians were uh, difficult people. They caused the Apostle Paul much anxiety. He wrote uh, to the Galatians, he said, My little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The, um, the Galatians were stuck in childhood. They, were, they, um, they simply didn't understand um, what, they, what they should have understood. They were, um, uh, they were stuck. And so um, Paul says, I'm laboring in birth again. I preached the gospel to you, and you were saved. You were born uh, spiritually, but I'm laboring in birth again to bring you to maturity because you're not growing, you're not, you're not developing, you're not progressing in the things uh, of God. Paul's goal is uh, Christ forming in them. 
God's goal is Christ-likeness. To the extent that we see God working in a person's life toward that goal, we can sympathize with him. I look at difficult people, I see, yeah, Jesus is working in this person's life. He's, uh, he's still uh, immature. He's still um, not getting it. But the Holy Spirit's there, and he's, uh, he's at work. God's sovereignly working in this person's life. I can sympathize with him. I can, uh, I can identify with him. I understand where he is. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied, but uh, I can understand, and I can help, okay? I can love that brother, even though he's struggling. Perhaps the Apostle Paul was able to discern the character of Christ in every single believer in that Thessalonian church. He saw Jesus moving sovereignly uh, in, in that person's life. Some maybe didn't grow so fast. Maybe they didn't grow at all, but Paul could see the Lord at work in their lives. We, too, should look for the Holy Spirit's influence, his work in the believer, molding him into the image of Jesus. There's, um, there's another group uh, that um, we need to watch out for, and those are the seemingly weaker members of the body. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12, he said, now, uh, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. Weaker members of the body. We, we need to not neglect. Uh, the example who comes to mind is um, uh, you old timers remember Dorothy Allensworth, a weaker member of the body. I see a couple smiles. In her, uh, in her 80s, she's 80 years old, and she marries uh, dear brother Norman Allensworth. Okay? Uh, they, they lived at Bethesda home for several years in Hayward, and uh, Dorothy was afflicted by health problems. I mean, who at, uh, in her 80s or 90s would not uh, have health problems? She uh, had arterial sclerosis, caused angina, caused her pain. She couldn't, uh, she wasn't real mobile. Um, that limited her physical activity, but not her spiritual activity. Uh, Dorothy had, uh, you walk inside their apartment, and uh, behind the door, there was a card table set up and a chair uh, behind the card table. And on the card table were piles of um, letters from missionaries and from, uh, from other believers and um, it was a prayer desk. She would, she would pray for these letters and uh, for these missionaries. And also on her uh, card table were, uh, was stationery. And so uh, she'd, she'd pray and she'd write and she'd pray and she'd write. And that was, um, that was kind of her ministry, uh, if you will. I know that she prayed because uh, she would come in Sunday and she'd say, well, uh, how was your... Um, how is your brother doing? You ask for prayer for your brother. Well, ha, Dorothy, I hadn't asked for that. I asked for that weeks ago, and you're, you're asking me now? You, uh, you've been praying, haven't you? You've been asking the Lord for, to help my brother. 
And so um, she, uh, she had a ministry of, uh, of prayer. Um, I mentioned writing. Show a slide. This is a, this is a postcard. You, you can probably see a little bit of it in the, in the screen. Yeah, okay. So that's the whole card, okay? Um, she didn't use margins. She'd pack a whole letter's worth of encouragement in a single postcard. And uh, it was just chock full. There's, there's, no, um, there's no nonsense in there. She's, um, uh, she's going through and encouraging from uh, Matt, dear young brother in our only Lord Jesus Christ, down to um, uh, eternally... Um, I can't see it, Dorothy, but she's, um, she's encouraging. She's, um, she's reaching out. She's um, praying. And I got these encouragements regularly from her, <clears throat> sometimes from Norman, sometimes from her, sometimes a letter, sometimes a postcard. But um, they were in fellowship. We'd see them, but she'd be uh, uh, cranking out these encouragements through the week. Dorothy's was a labor of love through prayer, and encouragement. What's the lesson for us? Well, don't discount the ministry of the less prominent members of the body. Don't undervalue. There's a prayer ministry going on here um, among our uh, less prominent members. That's, um, that's a labor of love. And the third reason for Paul's thanks was their patience of hope. Patience. We define it as a passive endurance or an active perseverance. Hope, a favorable and confident expectation having to do with the unseen and future. Hope finds its best expression under trial. And it's illustrated by the Thessalonians waiting for the Lord Jesus' return from heaven. Verse 10, Paul said, uh, and to, let's see, let's back up. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. This was the Thessalonians' patience of hope. They, um, they were enduring some persecution. They they, uh, Paul must have briefed them ahead of time. If you're going to trust in Christ, you're going to endure some hardship, some, uh, some hatred, some persecution. And the, um, uh, the Thessalonians endured that. But um, uh, their minds were occupied with heaven. They were, they were watching. That's what, uh, that's what wait means in verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven, that... Um, if you, if you strictly translated that, it was um, to abide up. It was to remain up. They were, they were watching, watching. The Thessalonians' attitude should be ours as well. Keep an eye toward heaven. Paul wrote the Romans, he said, If we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We wait, wait for the Lord's return. He reminded the Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly, also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This was their patience of hope. 
waiting and um, expectant. They, uh, um, they weighed their activities on, uh, on the Lord's return. Is this, going to, uh, is this going to benefit the Lord? Is this going to honor the Lord in anticipation of his return? Um, is this something that I want to be doing when he does return? And then uh, the fourth reason I listed here for Paul's thanking the Lord was the Thessalonians' reception of God's word. He says in uh, verse 6, he said, um, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the Lord in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So they, um, this is closely related to their faith, but um, they gladly received God's word. They recognized it as God's word. Um, as Paul also uh, explains in chapter 3, verse 12 of this letter, he said, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually works in you who believe. So Paul's thanking the Lord. He says, thank you, Lord, for the believers. Thank you for these Thessalonians, because when they heard your word, they accepted it as your word. Okay? There's, um, there's something... So those are four reasons uh, for Paul's thanks. Um, there was something that accompanied Paul's thanks in, uh, in the, the greetings that we read initially. I wonder if you picked up on it. I'll, I'll, go, through, I'll go back through them and just mention uh, what this um, accompanying thing was. It was his intercession for the saints. Ephesians 1 he said, he thanked the Lord for them, for the Ephesians, making mention of you in my prayers. Philippians, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy. Colossians, praying always for you. Thessalonians, making mention of you in our prayers. Slide, please. What comes first, thanks to God or prayer for the saints? Paul was praying for the saints. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the Thessalonian saints. They're, uh, they're faithful. They, um, they're loving. They, um, they're, they're full of hope, waiting on you. Um, okay, I'm going to pray now for, for the saints. Uh, and as I pray, <laughs> thank the Lord for, for what you're doing in these lives. And Lord, would you work in so-and-so's life? You see, we're in a cycle here. And uh, we find, too, as, um, as we thank the Lord, we're going to uh, thank the Lord for the saints, we pray for the saints. As we pray for the saints, we thank the Lord for the saints. It's, um, they're connected in Paul's heart and in his writing. The two are inseparable. In conclusion this morning, I'd like to offer uh, a couple assignments. Don, you gave a Thanksgiving message years ago. And um, I'd like to offer these same assignments with, um, with some modification. But um, you, um, 
You said, or I'll, I'll give you this assignment, end each day with thanks. Some of you, um, I suspect, have a brief time bedside. Uh, at the end of the day, thank the Lord for something that day, uh, especially that involves the, uh, the believers. I, I thank the Lord for um, Lita's not here. I thank the Lord for Lita because she, uh, she set up coffee this morning. Well, yeah, that's not a big thanks, but she, she's, um, uh, she's attentive to the needs in the assembly, and uh, I, I just um, see her working with the kids, and that's my thanks today, Lord. I, I really appreciate uh, Lita. All right? And then tomorrow will be something different. Keep it fresh. Don't use ditto marks, okay, from the previous day. Put something fresh. Make a log. Make a, lo- a journal. And, uh, and write these out. It, it changes lives to, uh, to acknowledge the Lord for his benefits. And uh, keep the log. I challenge you to keep it for uh, a month, a year. Can you do that? Do you uh, thank the Lord every night for a year? I think you can. Write a note. One per week. Write a note to a believer and say, I thank the Lord for you. Because... And say why. I thank the Lord for you. And I'm praying for you. And uh, the third thing is um, make thanksgiving a more prominent part of uh, prayer. We, um, we used to say there were four components of prayer. Um, Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Well, thanksgiving kind of dropped out of my prayer life because I've got uh, so much confession and, and supplication. You know, I'm always asking the Lord for stuff. So acknowledge him. <clears throat> Start with, with acknowledgement. Start with, uh, with thanksgiving. We'll see that as you, uh, as you uh, do that in your personal prayer. We'll see that in our prayer meeting on Wednesdays. We'll see... Uh, people thanking the Lord and then uh, asking, asking. We're, we're appreciating the giver before receiving the gift, okay? So make prayer, uh, make thanksgiving a more prominent part of your prayer life. And soon, the Lord will take us home. Thomas Kelly wrote in a hymn, he said, Lord, We wait for thine appearing, even so thy people say, bright the prospect is and cheering of beholding thee that day. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your saints, uh, because of the uh, awesome um, benefits that you have given, because we see you working sovereignly in our lives Um, Thank you so much for uh, these dear brethren, these dearly beloved, uh, these elect, these chosen ones. And um, uh, you show the magnificence of your love, your your faithfulness, your your kindness in uh, in delivering us from evil and uh, bringing us into the kingdom of your dear son. I, I thank you for that.
Um, we long for your return. Thank you for the patience of hope that, um, that you give us through Scripture, and um, we're, we're going to see you soon. We uh, uh, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.